Hi, I'm Maria Thea Harris or Velo Sows on social media. And today is a special Sow Over 50 podcast. Now grab a cuppa and get ready to be inspired with us. So Organised Style podcast acknowledges traditional owners of country throughout Australia. We pay our respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to the Elders past, present and emerging. Welcome back to this special Sow Over 50 episode on Sow Organised Style podcast. Sow Over 50 intersects with all communities. The current hashtag, Sow 50 Sustainable Sewing, has really ignited the creativity of many sewists in the Sow Over 50 community and beyond. So far in this podcast series to support Sow 50 Sustainable Sewing, Judith Daly kickstarted us with the context behind her values to sew sustainably. Then we heard from Wendy Ward, who also highly values sewing sustainably. Reusing the fabrics and textiles you already have in your possession is where you should start to take your first steps to both take part in the Sew Over 50 Challenge and more importantly, start taking steps to see how you can make your contribution to being sustainable in your sewing life. Today, Jen Hogg or Generates is our special guest to support Sew Over 50's current Sew 50 Sustainable Sewing Challenge. Jen has long valued being sustainable and today she's going to discuss her involvement in this challenge and then run us through the examples of her sustainable sewing life that you'll also read about in her guest posts on the Sew Over 50 Instagram account. Let's give a warm welcome back to Jen. Hi Jen, thanks for coming onto the podcast to discuss hashtag Sew 50 Sustainable Sewing today. Hi Maria, it's lovely to be here again. It's lovely to be chatting to you again from Scotland all the way across the world. I'm delighted to be involved in this challenge because sustainable sewing is something that I've always been interested in since I started sewing. So it's, it's a really lovely challenge to be involved in. Okay, so sustainable sewing, tell us about your journey. Sure, so I became involved in this challenge because I spoke to Judith and Sandy who run the Silver 50 community and you know can I just say here how much work they put in and how tremendous an effort they make it's fabulous and I really appreciate it and I'm sure we all do so I'd just like to mention that but I was talking to them about sustainable sewing because a couple of years ago, there was a D-Stash run in the UK for, it's called D-Stash for Kids with Cancer. And it's run by another lady I know in Edinburgh, whose wee girl was going through a cancer journey at that point. And she's in good health now. It's a, a good ending to that story. And she ran a D-Stash and I bought some fabric from Judith. So it was some really lovely blue pinstripe wool that Judith had had in her stash for a while and decided that she wouldn't actually use. And I bought it through the charity and made some pinstripe trousers, a unisex pattern that had just come out by, by Hand London. And I really love them. And I love that sense as well of using somebody else's stash, helping somebody else to stash bust. It was a really nice thing to do. So on the back of that, I was talking to Judith for quite a while about sustainable sewing and possible Silver 50 challenges. And, and it's something that's very close to, to her heart as well. And that was really how I got involved. I also offered to support the challenge as well when the challenge actually then came up with one of my products that I sell. So I'm involved, you know, as a guest editor and also as a sponsor, I guess. So, yeah, so it's been really good fun to get involved. I think it's admirable that you're both helping out 
on the guest post side and also sponsoring as well? Well, I really do feel quite strongly that Judith and Sandy put in a huge amount of time into this community and I enjoy the community. And so if I can give something back or help them out in any way, then I'm really happy to do that. So I have done guest editing quite a few times and, you know, it's very good fun. It does take up your day because you respond to the comments and you keep an eye on the post and so on. But I really enjoy that anyway. I enjoy chatting to other sewers on Instagram. So that's not onerous. But I would recommend if anybody has a wee bit of time and something to say about sustainable sewing, get in touch with Judith and Sandy on the Sew Over 50 Instagram address and see what you can do because it's good fun. It's worth doing. Just send a quick direct message and either Judith or Sandy will get back to you. It's very simple. That's right. Just on the at Sew Over 50 on the direct message option there. Okay. Yeah, I'm helping out by, um, I'm going to do, in the end, actually, my guest editing topic was too big and we've split it into four parts. So I'm going to do a guest edit each week throughout the month on a different aspect of sustainable sewing. The first guest edit post that I did was about stash busting, really because that was how I came into this challenge in the first place. But I have been using found fabric since I started sewing. And by that, I mean fabric that I have found in charity shops or op shops, as you call them, I think, in Australia. Yeah. And also fabric from other items like tablecloths and so on, or from other garments which have had their day. One thing that Judith said the other day in her podcast was that it's important not to use garments which do have a life for somebody. And I agree with that. I think that's a really fair point. Or I would feel guilty if I was chopping something up that somebody else could buy and wear as is. However, a lot of garments aren't in that category. And the other place that I sometimes source fabric from is at the very end of sales in shops. If you are wandering through and you see that sale rail that is at the very, very, very end, the kind of 90% off, and it's about to go to landfill. I don't have guilt about taking items off that to chop up. That's a really good point. Yeah, it's something, I mean, you know, a lot of shops will destroy their stock rather than put it into the charity market. And it's better that the fabric is used than destroyed in the end of the day. But certainly, you know, my charity shop finds, I remember aged 14, making stripy trousers. Do you remember those stripy bed sheets that you used to get in the 1980s, I guess, 70s and 80s? And they were usually kind of cream with either a blue or a pink stripe. And sometimes the really jazzy ones had blue, pink and yellow stripes. <laughs> and uh, I remember picking a couple of them up in my local Oxfam in St Andrews and making my friend and myself trousers. And we thought we were the bee's knees. <laughs> we were walking around St Andrews in these. Oh, my goodness. I mean, they were so ugly. <laughs> But we thought we were super cool. You know, we were like, yeah, look at that. And you gave them a second life too. That was a second life for that, yeah. (laughs) So I've moved beyond bedsheets, but I'd still rake through the charity shops, especially for vintage linens. And one of my favourite makes recently was from a sheer tablecloth. And I made that into a jacket, which I absolutely love. You know, it's quite a fancy jacket, really, because it's sheer and it has this hand embroidery and it's quite colourful. Yes, we've seen the post on it, yep. So I've got it hanging up behind me, actually. And actually, that didn't come from a charity shop. That came from a a neighbour locally, and it was her mum who embroidered it. So that's a lovely connection to have, Wow. to know the the history of the garment that I've made. 
and I love it. It's, it's quite fancy because it's sheer and it's got this colourful hand embroidery on it. But I decided that I need to just dress it down and wear it. And I have been wearing it quite a lot and I absolutely love it. And I get comments on it every time. And I take great delight in saying to people, yes, this was a tablecloth. This was a vintage tablecloth. Um, so the source of the fabric being found can actually, certainly for me, increase my sense of satisfaction with my garment. So it's not that I'm compromising. For me, it actually augments my experience, my sewing experience. And there's a story behind that jacket. So not only does it look gorgeous, but there's that added life behind it, that history. Exactly. It has a heritage or a, a history, as you say. Heritage. Which, yeah, it, it improves my knowledge of that, improves my experience of wearing the jacket. And so all these things are tied in together. And that sense of, I love the history that we have in sewing and knitting and the links it gives us back usually within our families, maybe less so for younger people who've learned by looking at YouTube videos. But certainly for me, and especially actually with knitting, I connect that back to my gran because I learned to knit from my mum my and my gran. And she learned to knit from her mum and her gran and she'll have learned to knit because it is a female thing to do these, you know, socially in Scotland anyway, it's been a predominantly female craft for a long time. So I have that direct link back to my female ancestors through what I'm doing with my hands now. And I love that sense of continuity through the ages. Yeah. You know, I'm trying to, my daughter has started sewing actually, I'm trying to encourage her. And my son's quite interested too. So maybe I'll be able to pass that on further down the line. But it's certainly a lovely link back through the line. And that same link goes with things like that tablecloth jacket where you have that history. And I know the lady whose mother embroidered that. So, you know, what a, what a lovely heritage to have. Yeah, it's wonderful. In a similar vein, another way I like to get my fabrics is I go to a few vintage shops. And there's actually one where I know the owner now up north who manages to source fantastic vintage fabrics. And the first one I bought from her was a really beautiful red silk crepe and a lovely piece of fabric. And of course, you're in the shop and you're thinking, I'm doing the rub test and I'm thinking, yeah, feels like silk to me. Not sure. I'm going to take a punt and I'll buy it. So I took it home and did a, a wee flame test on it. And it was silk. I made a dress with that. That was a couple of years ago. And the next time I was back up north, her, this shop is very close to where my sister lives. So the next time I was back up north, I went in wearing the dress to show her and it turns out that that fabric had come from her granny's stash and it had been in her granny's attic oh. and she put it in the shop eventually because she doesn't sew herself. And so she was really quite emotional to see what the fabric had become and for me knowing that it was Mel's granny's stash fabric was a lovely thing and that really is stash busting isn't it? If I, I'm not sure when her granny passed away, but that's obviously a very old stash. It was very narrow fabric, actually. Now, I did do an Instagram post about it at the time, and somebody told me when they stopped weaving the narrow width fabric. Right. I think it was in the 1950s. So we know the fabric is old. That's another lovely way to source fabric. And I really enjoy going and having a week around in vintage shops just to see what I can come across. It's another heritage piece for you. Absolutely. It's another heritage piece. And again, it augments my experience of wearing that dress. I really love it. Another fabric I got from the same shop actually was some vintage gingham. And that was quite interesting. I don't know the source of that gingham, 
But what I found quite interesting about that was I had some modern gingham in my stash, which my daughter actually used for a sewing project recently. And comparing the two fabrics, they're totally different. So the vintage gingham, again, it was a narrow width. I had to contend with a few wee frays and some rust marks. So you have to kind of, with vintage fabric or any found fabric, you really have to look at it quite carefully. Mm -hmm. I usually end up cutting out on a single piece rather than on the fold. Right. Just to try and avoid any marks, gravy stains on tablecloths, although bleach works wonders. Yeah, the vintage gingham is a much coarser fabric than the modern, a much more open weave, but a really lovely fabric, actually, and lovely to sew with. So that was a good one as well. That was a good find. And I, I made a dress that I've been wearing and we've had a hot summer here and it's just been glorious you know, to, to have this dress. So with that vintage gingham, you said that it was great to work with. Did it wash better than the new? Did it iron better? What was the difference to you? The difference to me with the vintage gingham was, yeah, it washed and ironed really well. It doesn't iron. It's more like a linen almost in the way that it doesn't quite iron flat. Right. You know, so you don't get that. I'm not getting that very pressed look with it. But the style of the dress suits that. So that's fine. Hmm. It was very stable to sew with. I found, even though it was quite a coarse weave. So I don't know why that, that would be particularly. And the dress that I made with it has gathers in the back, which I actually, I hacked that a little bit to put some more gathers in the back. And it also has a frill at the bottom. And they both work really well in this fabric. Yeah, it almost feels like a cotton linen, but it's not. It's cotton, but it feels almost like a cotton linen. Hmm. That would be the kind of closest weave that I would kind of compare it to in modern fabrics that I know. Yeah, so a different experience. Yeah, and again, you're aware of the age of the fabric when you're using it. So, you know, you forgive its flaws. You don't mind cutting around the frayed bits or patching them up. And it's it's nice to think that actually you're finally giving a garment life to fabric, which has been waiting for it for, you know, probably 50 years. Yeah. Or longer. Mm. Satisfying. That's, that's stash busting again, isn't it? So, yeah, it's really satisfying. Another way I source a lot of my fabric is something which has actually become a kind of self-perpetuating thing, really. Not long after we filmed the Great British Sewing Bee, I met the sustainability manager of a local cashmere mill. So we have a cashmere mill, it's about 30 miles away from me here in Glasgow, it's on the coast, and they weave cashmere for high-end clients right. like Hermes and you know Burberry and all these you know really posh cashmere and they also do a lot of work to source their cashmere sustainably their sustainability manager offered me the chance to start working with some of their surplus and that has been fascinating I mean how lucky here I am I've made a lot of things from cashmere that's amazing <laughs> you know I mean how lucky is that but yeah I use cashmere surplus they also do a cashmere silk mix for finer scarves and I've made tops like that And then they do cashmere wool mixes for blankets. I made a coat from a blanket which had a very strong geometric shape on it. And I made a a simple pattern, but it's a big coat. I love it. And that's actually in their sustainability report this year. So that tickled me that I'm in the sustainability report with that. And then that kind of led on to getting surplus from other areas. So I got a heap of surplus from an Irish linen mill. And that was actually through Instagram, through a connection that I made. So an Instagram friend. And we ended up swapping. She sent me 
some Irish linen and I sent her some Scottish cashmere. And that was a lovely thing. And I've really enjoyed using the linen and also kind of having the satisfaction of it being surplus and also through this Instagram friend. So there was a piece that I had that I used recently, which is on my Instagram feed recently, which is a checked dress, the joy dress by Maven Patterns. And that was surplus because when you looked at the width of the fabric, Mm. the weave was correct in the middle, but it was too light in a band at one side and too dark in a band at the other. So the weave had gone a bit wrong and there was a fairly narrow piece in the middle that was okay. But then with that pattern, that meant I actually managed to get the dress out of the narrow bit that was okay. And I used the pale bit for the facings because you don't see them. And the slightly too dark bit I used for the frill at the bottom. And it, it worked really well. It does free you up. I realised when I cut it that there was no way I could match the pattern. Mm -hmm. So if I bought that fabric, if I bought it from a shop as unflawed, I'd have bought enough that I could match the colour of the bands right the way around the dress. Yes. I couldn't do that. I had a limited amount. And so I did manage to match mostly, you know, where the bands meet, but the bands change colour from front to back. And if I had bought that fabric, that would bother me. I would feel dissatisfied with my make because I managed to make that dress from a piece of surplus and I've used something, I've saved it from landfill. Mm -hmm. I have absolutely no problem with that lack of pattern matching. Judith in her podcast mentioned that she finds it freeing to use found fabric. I couldn't agree more. I think it's, it liberates you from a lot of the constraints that we place on ourselves to try and achieve things like pattern matching. And you think, well, Actually, the benefit of me using up this piece of fabric and saving it from landfill is far greater than the disquiet of not being able to pattern match or whatever it is, or using other fabric for the facing or, you know, having to hack the pattern slightly to manage to get your garment into the fabric you have. So the constraints of the surplus or the found fabric are usually, I find, very interesting to work with. That's another benefit for me. And you've saved it from landfill. And if you had gone down the path of pattern matching, you would have created a lot of scrap fabric. So then you'd have to figure out how to use that. Yeah, that's right. We do have a responsibility to use our scraps. And, you know, I've got a couple of scrap bins, one with usable scraps and another one that I take to the charity shop because they can sell them to the ragman and get some money. Mm. And then I think they get cut up further and used for stuffing. At least the charity shop then is getting a benefit from selling it to the ragman. But that's the really small bits. That's bits that are too small even for COVID masks. Not Because not all charity shops do it. So I know that Bernardo's here. They do it. It is a case of kind of I go in and I'll say, can you sell the rags? So you've just talked about surplus, getting surplus fabric and how it frees you yeah. from the restraints of pattern matching. And you know that the fabric's not going into landfill. What else have you got for us, Jen? There are challenges sewing with surplus or with found fabric, but it's a huge amount of fun. And one of the surprising things to me when we did the sewing bee was that my favourite challenge was the transformation challenge. And you do only get the time that you see on telly. So literally you go back into the studio, they reveal what it is you're using and what you have to make. And you have 90 minutes. Boom, done. It's a good challenge because the time constraint means that you cannot waste time trying to do things like pattern matching, which then I think helps you to use the fabric in a more liberated way and to get your creative juices flowing. 
So I think that was a really good challenge for me because, you know, generally I'm a bit of a perfectionist. So for me, kind of learning to let go of my perfectionism in sewing was a really important thing. And I think having that experience and it being filmed at the same time and having the time constraint probably really pressed fast forward on, on my learning experience there, my learning to let that go. That was an education for me, actually. And one of the first things I made when we stopped filming, I made a shirt out of three of my husband's old work shirts. And I really love it. And I did that on purpose because when we filmed our series, one of the pattern challenges we had actually was to make a pussy bow blouse out of old shirts. And I had a conversation, a lengthy conversation over the period of filming with Patrick, actually, about whether or not my garment had to be symmetrical. And I had chosen to make my garment, uh, you know, the sleeves were in different fabrics. But I thought, well, if I take a photo of this in black and white, they would look the same. Tonally, they're the same. They're slightly different, but they have the same kind of depth of colour in them and so on. Yeah. And so I kind of feel quite strongly that you don't need to go with symmetry. And certainly that's what I did then in my three shirt shirts, which I wore to the final party. And I did wear it because I really like it. But also because I was actually making a point that, you know, (laughs) I I love this shirt. Everything I'd added to it, I sewed in red. So if I had added any buttons, they were sewn on in red thread. So it really told its own story. And I'd use the cuffs as a collar. It has a kind of double collar thing. And they were all the the cuffs of the, the double cuffs of the, the original shirts. And it wasn't symmetrical. But again, it was fairly similar tones. Yes, it was interesting then when that episode came out. And the chat on the episode was all about, oh, it's super if the garment can tell its own story. (laughs) And I was thinking, that was my line. I gave you that. (laughs) But again, that's part of the learning experience and part of the kind of journey, I guess, into really embracing using found fabric is kind of, you know, trying things out, isn't it? I guess it just gives you the freedom to try things that maybe you wouldn't normally. That's right. You know, the constraints of what you have, the constraints of the lack of ability to do things like pattern match, but also the fact that you feel quite liberated because you're using fabric that you have saved from landfill. So in a way, you can probably be a bit more experimental because you're not worried about messing the fabric up so much. I mean, not always. That wouldn't be the case, like, for example, with that vintage silk crepe. Obviously, that was one where you had to take a breath before you put the scissors in, you know. Yes. But often, you know, with the three shirt shirt, I could just go for it and see if it worked. And it did work. But if it hadn't worked, yes, I'd have wasted three shirts, which they, they were goosed. I mean, they were really done. But at least I tried to give them another life. And if it hadn't worked, I guess, you know, it probably would have gone into that rag bag. And again, that's a great example of showing that by sewing sustainably, you can, as you said, increase your creativity. You know, your creative juices get a bit of a boost. You know, that's a really good point that you've made. Yeah, it definitely increases. It certainly increases my creativity. Another example of that is that I made a denim jacket recently out of, it was actually three old pairs of jeans plus a wee bit of denim left over from another project. And I used a lot of the features of the jeans to make the jacket. So, for example, the kind of lower front pockets were actually the front pockets of the jeans. And I, I used the pocket and the outer fabric of the jeans to create my pockets. So the pockets mm-hmm. are all actually double because I've got the original jeans pocket and then the one that I've created. And in fact, there's also on one of them, there's the wee coin pocket. So it's a triple pocket. And that's <laughs> good fun. 
but my kind of point about that really was that yeah. using the features of the original genes and having to use, I mean, I used them all up in this actually, in this project. I ended up using a bit of the yolk and the waistband of one pair of jeans in part of the back. Right. So I had all this really interesting top stitching there. I mean, I had to go slow on the sewing machine with that because you can imagine when I was joining that together with the front of my jacket, I'm then at what, probably about 12 layers of denim at some point. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of, lot of denim. But I chose in that case to do a similar colour of top stitching to the original. So the top stitching is all that kind of traditional goldy yellow denim top stitching colour. But I had such fun because none of it is symmetrical at all. You know, I kind of top stitched around the collar and then I did the cuffs of the jacket in different ways. And, and then I realised as well that actually in placing my pockets, I had one pocket about two millimetres higher from the bottom edge than the other. Mm-hmm. So I thought, OK, I know I'll just distract you with an extra line of top stitching on one side. <laughs> and that's totally worked. I didn't even notice it. <laughs> So again, that kind of liberated approach to it can really benefit you in solving your challenges when you're sewing with found fabric. That's being creative. Yeah, and it's such good fun as well. I mean, I was just having a wee top stitching party with that jacket. It was (laughs) such good fun. (laughs) Another kind of surplus that I, I wanted to tell you about was one that a lot of people haven't heard of, which again comes to me from the cashmere mill. And it's mm-hmm. called slitter tape. And I don't know about you, but it's maybe a Scottish word. But when I was wee, if I spilled my tomato soup down my top, my gran would have said to me, oh, you're a slitter. You've, you've slittered. And that to me is a spill. You know, it's a, a slitter. Yeah. Is like a, you know, a, 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 do, you, do you use that word the same way? Is that? No, this is all new to me. Okay, so it must be a Scottish. Even that way when you just kind of misjudge your spoon when you're five and your your soup goes down your top by mistake. That's a slitter. Anyway, slitter tape is the narrow strip of fabric which is left over when they slice the scarves off the loom. So if you imagine they weave cashmere scarves three in a row and about Mm -hmm. 25 scarves to a length usually. So you've got a long panel of fabric that then has to be sliced up into each individual scarf and the bit of fabric that's left between them cutting off the scarves is the slitter tape because it's where they slit the scarves off okay and this tape is usually between maybe two two and a half centimeters wide and if the scarf has fringes it will also have two or three fringes every scarf length right so you have this amazing soft cashmere tape with these wee odd bits of fringing that is just beautiful. And that has been a really, really interesting one to work with because there should be a use for it. Again, I've got loads of it in the house from this cashmere mill and I've tried various things with it. So the kind of obvious thing really is to knit with it or to crochet it, which I've been doing. I've made myself an amazing crocheted cashmere rug that my dog loves. (laughs) So (laughs) I've got this this rug made from fabric that's probably been sent to Hermes and my dog's like oh yes yeah, it's great <laughs> <laughs> your dog has good taste yeah he sure does he's a lucky boy <laughs> yeah so you can knit it and crochet it you can also stitch it together although it's very hard when you're sewing the narrow strips together to avoid getting a bend on them and mm-hmm. um, so I find you know I'm lucky I've got a really super jukey machine that has a built-in walking foot And I can change the settings on that to actually get it to move straight. So I don't get that twist, but it is hard not to get that twist. Another really good fun thing to do with it is to weave with it. 
So I end up setting up looms using, you know, those foam children's play mats that you get. They kind of, yep. they're quite fat foam and you can stick pins in them. So I end up doing my warp threads effectively by pinning them into this sections of play mat and then weaving the, the weft threads through it. And then you have to stitch every single square down. So it ends up literally sometimes, I mean, I did panels that I made a jacket from. And I think I had something like 500 pins in the, the panels. Oh, wow. Absolutely crazy. And then, of course, you have to be really careful with how you're handling the fabric while you sew it down because it's such a loose weave. I mean, you know, each thread is an inch wide. So you have to be really careful not to kind of lose the structure mm -hmm. of your fabric when you're sewing it. I've made quite a lot of scarves. And so I weave them and pin them all down. And then I have this game on the sewing machine where I have to stitch every square twice. And I'm not allowed to repeat a line and I'm not allowed to go to the very edge. And I have to try and get from the top of the scarf to the bottom. So if you look at the scarves, you end up seeing these lines and they're all straight lines, you know, all right angles. Yeah. You can actually follow the line down and it kind of goes back, down, round, up, down and, trying to catch in every square without ever repeating a line. I'm not, you know, I can intersect, but I'm not allowed to go over the same line. It's hugely entertaining. <laughs> it's really good fun to do. <laughs> do you run out of thread in your bobbin? Um, no, actually, I haven't. As long as I have a full one, I'm okay. Yeah. yeah, I know. Actually, I hadn't thought of that. I have to have a wee rule for if I run out of thread, that's uh, I'm allowed to start again and that's not cheating. Yeah, thanks, Bria. <laughs> That reminds me of, you know, it's like a game of bobbin chicken as well, making sure that you don't run out. It is like a game of bobbin chicken. Yeah, mm. exactly. That's exactly the feeling you get with it. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's very good fun and it, it entertains me when I'm sewing these, um, you know, otherwise it'd be quite a boring sew, I think, sewing all this weaving together. But yeah, it keeps me entertained. That's very childish, isn't it? <laughs> it's a slow sewing project and you could say that it's, you know, couture techniques. So... Yeah, I'll go with that. Yeah, it's not right, challenge. Yeah. It's a couture te technique. Yes, thank you. I'll take that one. <laughs> I mean, that really is a, a surplus, which is really challenging to use, but it can be used. I've got a friend in Glasgow here. She has a long arm quilting machine and she uses that. She does long arm quilting, but she also uses it for embroidery and for she does the weaving and then sews it together in the long arm quilter. And she's doing amazing coats. She's she started doing coats from it. You know, she's much younger than me. She is working really hard to find a commercial solution to using a waste product, which previously has just gone to landfill. And it's a beautiful product and her garments are exquisite. She is on the road to having a commercial solution. You know, she's got interest in these some very exciting people. And I think how tremendous to take something that's such a, traditionally a surplus that people think, ah, you can't use that. that. That one's not any use to anybody. And it's a hard sell because people find it quite challenging to think what they could do with it. And for her to take that and actually say, no, look, I can do something with it and make exquisite garments and give this fabric a life and a value and save it from landfill. And that for me is a really good example of what we should all be really aspiring to actually that kind of dedication to sustainable sewing is I, I find really admirable so I'm a big, big fan of hers. That's a really good point in that if we can find ways of using something that's waste because it's a small quantity or like a unique quantity then yeah it actually has a market 
there is a market for that. I should tell you that if you want to um, look at her work, she's on Instagram as at Dastardly Line. And it's worth looking at her work. It's beautiful. I think that one of the commercial challenges is that obviously a lot of shops who purchase wholesale want to put an order in for, you know, however many thousand identical garments. And you cannot supply that if you're working with surplus because you are working with what happens to be available. You're working within all these constraints we've already mentioned. Yeah. So that buyers have to come to a place where they understand that they are not going to get 5,000 identical articles. Yeah. They could get 5,000 almost identical articles or similar articles, but not the same. And that takes a bit of a change in mindset. But I think that change in mindset will come from the consumer because mm. they will respond to the demand as buyers. And I think we are coming to that place where people do appreciate unique garments and garments which are made using something which is traditionally considered waste. So I guess that's also a role if, if we're to appreciate the uniqueness of garments. I think we're at a pivot point where what people want, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think we are at a point of change of attitude generally. Although, you know, we're saying that from our privileged positions in you know wealthy countries true you know it's a really difficult one woman down south a couple of years ago who is doing a phd on sustainability and fashion you know i didn't talk to her for long about it so she gave me a really kind of brief insight into her research and the one thing that i hadn't thought about was that so many families in india for example depend on their income that comes essentially from fast fashion yes And we need to remember that we also need to solve that part of this puzzle. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that she pointed out to me was that she said, yeah, we are in the kind of, you know, in the UK and Australia and America, Canada, we are at the point where we are coming out of the fast fashion model that people, more and more people are appreciating that it's not a good thing. She said, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of countries who are just coming into it. And she mentioned Brazil as Mm -hmm. one of those countries. Now, here I am, I'm quoting this you know, research secondhand. So don't take anything I'm saying for gospel. But I found just even thinking about those aspects really interesting because they were not aspects that I had considered as from my privileged position of somebody who sews my own clothes by and large in Scotland with all the wealth that we have. So, you know, they're very good points to bear in mind as well. You know, we've got the climate change conference happening in Glasgow this year in November, the COP26, which is the International Climate Forum. Yep. And it's really important that we have that kind of event to try and figure out these bigger issues. Mm. From my point of view, what I can do is I can use found fabric and I can try and sew sustainably and I can appreciate my clothes and give them a full, you know, full use or pass them on. But we do need to also think about the, the bigger, the bigger global picture. It's good for thought. It is food for thought. So should I go back through the rules for Sew 50 Sustainable Sewing? Yeah, the rules for Sew 50 Sustainable Sewing. Uh, Maria, I think you have them, don't you? Just to remind our listeners and Sew 50 followers and people who want to be part of hashtag Sew 50 Sustainable Sewing. So rule number one is to use old fabric. And as Judith says, use fabric that you already have in the system. And we've talked about various types of old fabric. Jen, you've given us so many great examples, remnants, vintage, fabrics from charity shops, old garments, and it's worthwhile telling the story and the origins of the fabric that you've got in your post for 
hashtag so 50 sustainable sewing and the great thing is you can make a garment or accessories like hats or bags so if you're a new sewer you don't have to worry about making you know a garment or you can manage as a bag or a hat please go ahead and do it it'll be fun absolutely that's, that's a great point have fun with it that's kind of like an unwritten rule but have fun with it be creative Next, make sure that you use the hashtag SewOver50 and hashtag Sew50SustainableSewing. So that's SO50SustainableSewing. And double check your spelling. Make sure you follow the SewOver50 account. So that's at SewOver50. There are prizes that will be picked at random at the end of the challenge. And just remember, just because it's SewOver50, anybody of any age can be part of it. This competition is not affiliated with Instagram. So just bear that in mind. And also, um, listeners, if you have a private Instagram account, unfortunately, we won't be able to see what you've got there. So bear that in mind. You know, it's up to you. How does that sound, Jen? (laughs) Excellent. That sounds perfect. That's absolutely perfect. Yeah, I think that the most important rule is have fun with it. Yeah. And even if it just inspires you to as you say, if, if you prefer to keep your account private, but it inspires you to make something out of found fabric, then brilliant. That's that's what it's all about. And Jen, you've given us so many great examples of found fabric, how to find them. And I think it's going to be quite interesting for listeners to then take the challenge and maybe find surplus supplies in their local areas. And if they've got rags to give to a inverted commas rag man, as you said, you know, go to one of the charity shops and ask if they can actually use the rags that you've got. Absolutely. On finding the surplus, do you know, I would recommend if you have local fabric producers. So, you know, for me, it's mills locally. Phone them, phone them up. Usually they have a sustainability officer or manager. If they don't have any way of using their surplus, I mean, it's becoming more important for all of these producers to be able to tick the sustainability box and even if that's all they're doing we can take advantage of it yeah even if it is a a box ticking exercise and no more then let's take advantage of it so I would recommend phoning up and asking them what they do with their surplus often mills and other producers will give it to a charity and the charity then sells it on that seems to be a really common way to do it but then you'll find out who the charity is so you know for example recently as I say I, I use the cashmere surplus and the linen surplus I've also have wool surplus from Yorkshire which I found through eBay through a woman who gets that and sells it through eBay and more recently I've started working with leather surplus now I love this because I should say I'm a lifelong vegetarian but I do wear leather I'm not vegan and this leather is produced in a tannery which is about five miles from my house Mm-hmm. And it's sold to me through a charity and everything is sourced in Scotland. So it's completely local. And then I'm making that into scissor tabs, which I'm having made about, again, five miles from my house. So this product is completely local. I nip over in my car and get it and collect it. And I really enjoy the fact that these tiny wee scraps of leather then turn into something which you know, hopefully make people smile, actually, because they're, you know, scissor tabs that say things like shoe. You put them on your fabric scissors to get people not to touch them. (laughs) (laughs) Or my favourite is sachet away. (laughs) So It's just a case of phoning these places up, the producers up and saying, what do you do with your surplus? Where does it go? How can I access it? Hmm. And you'll be amazed at what you discover. And listeners, you don't have to do it straight away, but 
you know, if you are interested and you want to sew sustainably, these are just some ideas, a mountain of ideas, Jen, that you've given us today. Sorry, too much information. (laughs) It's good. It's all good. No reason why listeners can't listen back again. Yeah, you can see why my guest editing thing got divided into four. (laughs) Jen, thank you so much for coming on to Sew Over 50's podcast to help us give people some ideas about how they can take part in hashtag Sew 50 Sustainable Sewing. Maria, it's been a pleasure as always. It's delightful to speak to you and um, I, I love your podcast. So it's a real pleasure to take part. Thank you for inviting me. And thank you for the honour for being on the podcast twice now. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> lovely to chat to you. Thank you so much. And have a lovely day, listeners. Have you started your sustainable sewing project yet? Make sure you follow the hashtag Sewing to get inspired and find out what steps you can take to sew in a sustainable way. Reuse, recycle and stash dive into what you already have to create a garment as part of this challenge. This episode of Sew Organised Style Podcast for Sew Over 50 was produced by me, Maria Thea-Harris, with permission of Jen Hogg, sound by bensound.com. You can subscribe to Sew Organised Style Podcast, but with an S not a Z, on all good podcast apps. Make sure you give us a five-star rating and review. Support this podcast through our Patreon account as well. Every podcast is free. Make sure you listen to our previous Sew Over 50 podcasts and hear from great people from the Sew Over 50 community and catch up on the previous Sew 50 Sustainable Sewing Challenge podcasts. Post any questions or podcast suggestions you have on our podcast website at seworganisedstyle.com or on our Instagram account at seworganisedstyle or on our Facebook page. We look forward to joining you in your sewing room next time. Stay safe, everyone.